Acts chapter 8. This is part 9 of the church that's at its best when, and occasionally the church is at its best when we eat, but uh, that's not what we're going at today. It's not the, uh, the muffins and the cupcakes. Uh, let me review quickly. Um, I review quickly just because not everybody is here for all of them, and um, so it just gives you a, a little uh, reminder of where we've been. Uh, part one, the church is at its best when we preach the gospel and the power of the Spirit. The church is at its best, secondly, when we recognize Jesus as Lord and Christ our anointer. The church is at its best when we preach Jesus as healer. The church is at its best when we are one in heart and mind. Fifth, the church is at its best when we work out our problems together and glorify God through it. Sixth, the church is at its best when we choose our leaders wisely. Seventh, the church is at its best when we preach Jesus plus nothing saves you. It's Christ and Christ alone. The church is at its best, eighth, when we are full of the Holy Spirit. And today the church is at its best when, well, we'll get to that. Chapter 8. The context, setting this up for you, we, we've moved from chapter 6 and 7 where I've been at for a little while and we've talked about some people, especially Stephen. Stephen has represented the gospel well and he's taken these Jewish people, the leadership, through the history of Israel. He has brought them, he's confronted them with Christ and the gospel and they reward him with a stoning. They kill him. And so we are in the early days of persecution here. Let me begin in chapter 7, just, just to give you the whole thought. Verse 54, and then we'll get to 8. 754. When the members of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish religious council. These are the big shots. These are the guys that call all of the religious rules and regulations. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they heard the gospel preached from Stephen. They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Not terrified by that? Reads better than it looks. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, there that is again, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If you want a better picture of that, go read Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. At this, they covered, oh, hold it. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They are less than happy. And they dragged him out of the city. Now, remember, out of the city. They dragged him for a while. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Traditional Jewish identification with what's following. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Imagine, in the midst of being stoned, you got rocks bouncing off the side of your head. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Here's the verses we want to get to. And Saul, whom we know will eventually become the Apostle Paul, 
And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4, the final verse. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let me just recount to you. Let me remind you about the, the church's early days, early weeks, early months. We find in the first few chapters of the book of Acts that the church is being filled with the Spirit in, in promise of Jesus' words, not only recorded immediately in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but going all the way back to the Gospel of Luke, where the Gospel writer reminds us that Jesus said that to them. They have been healing the sick and winning the lost. Lots of great things have been happening. The miraculous has been happening. People have been converted. They've been sorting out their internal concerns as the church began to grow. When it goes from just a couple of us to a few more to many more, there are some personal dynamics, interpersonal relationships. There's some structuring. There's some ministries that need to be sorted out. And they're sorting out the internal concerns with people filled by the Spirit, men like Stephen and Philip. But we're at a point now in the church's early days in Jerusalem that they are starting to experience some kickback, possibly literally. The church is growing now and it's gaining influence. Miraculous signs have taken place and those who are, of, are unbelievers or are of unbelief realize they cannot refute the miracles that are taking place. And it finally gets to the point, there is a tipping point here in the early, in the early days, in the early weeks, in the early months of the church. There's a tipping point here when finally the, the opposition turns to downright aggression. And they are beginning to get physical with the church. And Saul at this time is the greatest perpetrator. He's in a sense been released by the Sanhedrin to persecute the church as much as as possible. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, and notice this, on that day. I want you to notice that from the English translation. We don't know what day that was. But when Luke, who writes this, says, on that day, I want you to know that that day is very vivid to him. On that day. Now, we know that on that day, it means that persecution broke out. But it means more to that. Uh, it means more than that to Luke. On that day is another way of saying something like this. On that very terrible day. I will never forget that day. On that day, some really bad things took place. It was on that day. If you're older... And this is going back a ways. But for those of you that, that grew up in the 40s, you'll remember on that day when Pearl Harbor was attacked and the United States declared war on Japan. This day will live in infamy, the president said. I know we're Canadians, but we remember the speech on that day. We remember 9-11 on that day. I can still remember that day I was in the office and I had an appointment with a couple and the couple came in to, to talk with me about a, a matter 
And on that day, the plane started crashing in uh, to the trade towers in New York City. And you're, you're, the, the directors are not going to want to hear this. So if you're a director, if you're in leadership, plug your ears. But I remember going home on that day and having a two-hour lunch with the TV on, watching all of that, glued to it, because I couldn't believe what was taking place on that day. So those that are older, those that are a little bit younger, that's what this means. On that day, this was a very specific terrible day because persecution began against the church in a very organized manner. It was on that day. Luke refers to it on that day. That means something. And again, in the English translation, it says a great persecution. Now, I'm laboring this for a moment because again, I want to put you in the story. I say it a hundred times, I know. It is so easy to blow through this stuff when you're reading your Bibles and to lose the impact. Oh, on that day, a great persecution broke out. Da, 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 da. Paul did this, Saul did this, da, 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 and just kind of move right through it. You have to understand how terrible this day was. Because if you don't understand how terrible this day was, and subsequent days, you don't understand how wonderful the response was. It's meaningless to you what the response of the church was, even though on that day, Saul unleashed a horrible, terrible persecution against the church. And I will get into that in just a few more minutes. On that day, they, the same day they murdered Stephen, on that day they murdered Stephen and a great persecution broke out against the church. It was like the floodgates of hell had been poured open on them. Basically, the Sanhedrin, through Saul, was granted permission to destroy the church. It was like they got a license from their religious government and said, go after them. Do whatever you need to do. They are the enemy. Destroy them. On that day, permission was granted to destroy the church. And in those days... There was no particular building to go to. There wasn't Essex Gospel Community Church that gathers on Sundays at 335 Talbot Street South. The, the church gathered in homes. And so on that day where Saul and his minions understood there might be followers of the way, people began to burst into homes, to break into homes, and they went from house to house, and it says this. Realize what it says in verse 3. Going from house to house, he, and his help, of course, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, you might think that the end result is the worst thing that's going on here, but it is not the worst thing. He dragged them off. So again, I want to put you in the story. You're at your address. Think of your address. Think of your street number or your apartment number. Think of that. You're in your home and you're doing your family thing. In a sense, you're minding your own business. And all of a sudden, the doors burst open and Saul and his helpers are going door to door and they're grabbing followers of the way because that's what they were called in the early days. They're grabbing these people and they're dragging them out of their homes, and they're taking them to wherever the Jewish prison is in Jerusalem. And I have no idea what that is. 
But they're bursting, like, it's not like this, folks. Brian and Charlene, you home? Yeah. Would you mind getting in the car? We're going to take you to prison. They're bursting into homes. They're grabbing, I can't grab your wife. They're grabbing people <laughs> and they're dragging them off to prison. Now, can you imagine how sudden and how horrible and how terrible that is? Now, re remember this, right? Very typical in Jewish homes that families live together. So it's not just husband and wife. It's likely that there's some kids around. It's likely that there's some grandkids around. And so these guys are bursting into homes and in the middle of family gatherings with young kids all around, they're grabbing these people and they're literally dragging them out of their homes. And you have to understand that this would not be muted. There would be yelling and screaming from the people going into the homes. There would be those that are followers of the way that would be protesting, being taken out of their home, that their kids are crying and grabbing onto their clothes because they don't know where mom and dad's going. I mean, this is horrible. That's why when Luke says on that day, it doesn't just mean the day they killed Stephen, but it means that all the horrible things that followed happened. It was on that day. For seven chapters, everything's quiet. A little bit of pushback. They're told, don't preach Jesus anymore. But there's nothing physical. But on that day, everything changes. Acts 8 and 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. The church was persecuted and scattered on that day. A great persecution broke out against the church on that day. And it says the result of that was that the church was scattered. Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off not just men, but he dragged off women and he placed them in prison. Now, the idea of placing them in prison wasn't just for like a nice trial, a slap on the wrist, pay a fine, and go home. Prison was just a temporary place probably for some of them before some of them were going to be martyred. It was a holding tank. On that day, I can't imagine. I mean, we've all seen movies where stuff like that has happened, robbers, thieves, whatever. I, I can't imagine the sheer terror that that would have caused those family members. Not just the threat of prison, but something worse. But being dragged off from your home in front of your family, in front of your kids. Can you imagine the chaos, the tears, the screams? As I said, kids tugging at their parents and screaming, don't go, don't go. Parents trying to comfort these same kids while being dragged out of their homes. The panic of families and the rage of Saul's men. We, we recognize back in chapter 7 that just, just listening to Stephen made the Sanhedrin leaders gnash their teeth. They were furious. They were filled with rage. There was nothing polite about this persecution. And that's why... Luke remembers it so well and it's burned into his mind and he can say on that day a great persecution broke out against the church. So what happens? The result of this beyond prison and people's homes being disrupted and people being terrified. It says this as it relates to mission, the mission of the church. It says, and all except the apostles were scattered 
throughout Judea and Samaria. And I got a little map for you. So go back and read Acts 1 verse 8 for a minute. Would you do that? Take your Bible, whatever form you have, and read Acts 1 verse 8. So the church is being persecuted. The 12 apostles stay in Jerusalem with the mother church, but it says the rest of them were scattered. Now, like, be careful with this taking everything very literally. Don't think that Jerusalem church just had 12 apostles and that was it. You know, they came to preach every uh, Saturday evening or Sunday morning and there was just the 12 of them. I'm sure there were others left. This isn't a blanket statement saying there wasn't one single person left in Jerusalem that was a Christ follower. But it's basically telling us this, that the leadership team stayed, but a lot of the other leaders, like Philip and so on, scattered. But it tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Wait in Jerusalem. Wait till you're filled with the Holy Spirit, for you're going to be my witnesses where? Say it out loud. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, or to the four corners, right? Where were they scattered? They were already in Jerusalem, and from the persecution, we see the beginning of this, God fulfilling his words just months later, that they've now begun to go to Judea, to the outskirts, and to the north, to Samaria, where they are part Jews, but they're also part Gentiles. So when you see this, connect the dots. What Jesus said to the 120 when he was still with them, he said that you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to have the power from God and you're going to need that because you're going to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the outermost parts of the world. Now, I think they interpreted that was when they were ready. Right, Chris? We're going to get the team together. We got the location we're going to get the team together. We're going to make sure everybody does their fundraising. The local church is going to raise some more money. We're going to pick a date, and we're going to go to the outermost parts of the world. I'm sure they thought it was going to be neat and tidy like that. But what happens is on that day, a great persecution breaks out, and it is fulfilled in their midst in a very unusual way that all of a sudden they're starting to do what Jesus said they would do, although it is a little less willing than they anticipated and a little bit more disruptive because they're running in a sense for their lives now to Judea and to Samaria in order to escape Saul and his wrath and the wrath of his men. But notice this, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. I've also told you in the past that the English language cleans up the Greek word really nice there. It says witnesses. It's nice to be a witness, right? Witness just has to tell their story. You were at an intersection. One guy crashed into another guy. You were a witness. Police officer comes up to you and says, what did you see? Well, I saw that car pull out against the light, and that guy drove right into him. It's that person's fault. They say, would you sign this statement? You sign that statement. It's all really nice. You go home, and for a week, it's a story. You were a witness. That's not what the Greek word that's translated witness it is better translated martyr, and you will be my martyrs. 
you will be my martyr witnesses. Jesus was telling them that not only was God going to fill them with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus was, going to t- was telling them that in order to be effective men, uh, witnesses or in being effective witnesses, some people might actually try to kill you, a.k.a. Stephen. It's not as pretty. It's not as sanitized as, as, as it, it, we think it is because of the English translation. You shall be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. Now, that didn't mean everybody, but it certainly meant somebody. And the first somebody is the Apostle Stephen on that day. But notice the reaction, not the initial reaction, but the subsequent reaction that it tells us in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Scattered means this. It means that they went to a lot of different places. But in the way it's also worded, it means, it means that where they ended up might have been more by chance and accident than by design. They were scattered. Now, I'm sure some of the people that fled the church in Jerusalem during the persecution on that day tried to find some family and friends in Judea. If they had some living on the outskirts, if they were in the city core, they had some living in the burbs, they probably tried to lodge with somebody in the burbs, especially if they were Christ followers. But if you're going to Samaria, remember the place that everybody walked around? Remember the disciples were surprised that Jesus was ministering to a woman at the well of Sychar in Samaria? That you couldn't hang around with Samaritans because they were half-breeds? They weren't really Jews. They weren't really followers of Moses. I mean, we avoided that as a good Jew. But it tells us that some of them went there. That being the case, these good Jews going to Samaria really didn't have a place to go to. They were literally missionaries. They were literally global workers just scattering to the north, sharing their faith, but maybe not necessarily having a place to hang their hat. They were scattered. They just went South, they went north. They just tried to get out of Jerusalem. But, but after they had been through the initial disturbance, after they had gone through some of those terrifying moments of getting out of Jerusalem, they righted their ship. They came through the storm. And the Bible tells us, Luke tells us, that they got back to the business of sharing their faith and telling others about Jesus. They were scattered, but they weren't scared. All there was the initial disturbance. But instead of going to the caves in the wilderness, to the caves of Idumea, instead of running away and hiding, they simply left Jerusalem. They left where things were the most hot, knowing that the apostles had things under control there as much as they could. And they just decided, well, we're going to go other places and we're just going to tell people about Jesus. 
This hasn't dissuaded us. This hasn't discouraged us. This hasn't caused us to retreat. We're not going to become muted just because the church is going through a great persecution. What we're going to do now is we're going to take the gospel to other places where Jesus hasn't been preached yet, when there is an opposition to it, at least at this time, and they decided that that's where they're going because they were scattered, not scared. You can imagine that It would be no easy thing after the personal disruptions they had just come through, the turmoil, the the homes upside down, finding some place to live at least for a while. You could understand if they just decided to say this, we're just going to chill for a while. We're just going to get everything back together. We're going to just, how are the kids? How's the family? Have we got food? Have we got water? Uh, What have we got for the next few days? But instead... They just scattered and began to preach. Look what it says, and this is why I had you read verse 4 of uh, Acts 8. Those who have been scattered preach the word wherever they went. They didn't hide. They may have ran. They may have ran to another place. They may have walked at a quick pace. But they preached the gospel wherever they went. And it says that Philip went down to a city in Samaria. And the reason why it says went down, because elevation wise from Jerusalem to Samaria, it's going down. It's to the north, but it's going down. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. And what did he do? It says that he proclaimed the Messiah there. He preached Jesus. Acts 8, 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip now, the stage moves from Stephen, and for the next chapter, it moves to another fellow named Philip. And Philip preaches the Messiah in Samaria. So what can we learn from all of this? Number one, the church could evangelize effectively without the apostles. Can you turn to Acts 2, verses 42 to 47? Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Can you just quickly, to yourself, just go over those verses? They've been preached here a number of times, so they should not be new to many of you. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, it tells us this. The church took care of itself. They devoted themselves to the word, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right? They took care of one another. And because they were well-discipled, because they took care of one another, when, when they were separated from their leadership team, guess what happened to them? Did they fall apart? Not at all. They were well-discipled. They went to Judea, they went to Samaria, and they preached the gospel. They didn't say, well, you know, if Peter was here, if John was here, You know, if we had some apostles around us, we could continue to be effective. But what are we going to do without our apostles? They were fine. Why? Because they had been well discipled. Their ability to share their faith, their ability to persevere, their ability to endure the persecution wasn't based on, do I have my leaders around me? They had learned to take care of themselves, and they functioned quite well. The church could evangelize effectively without the apostles. It means that the church did a good job discipling. We need to remember that. What else can we learn from this event? Number two, the church may have become complacent. This is just one approach. 
Jesus said, I want you to go into Judea and Samaria. I want you to preach the word. They had been in Jerusalem. All kinds of good things were happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a good church. It was a big church. It was a growing church. They had all the latest technology. They had PowerPoint. They had videos. They had a drama team. I mean, they had the whole thing in Jerusalem. Why would we want to go and start a small church somewhere else that doesn't have all the technology? I mean, Jerusalem church had padded pews. I mean, that's possible that that's what's going on. And God said, you know what? The church isn't moving out. I told them in Acts verse 1 and 8 that they should be disciples in, 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 in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and there was a lot of and, and it seemed like it was just Jerusalem that was getting saturated. So God may have, this may be just one approach of God. God says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some of my assets here, and I'm going to make sure that the church gets out of Jerusalem. Because the surrounding region is not hearing the gospel. Only Jerusalem is hearing the gospel. And it may well have been that God allowed. God allowed that persecution that day because he knew that the, one of the consequences or results of that persecution, as terrible as it would be, is that the gospel would go to other places. Do you know how the gospel goes to other places, folks? Through who? Through people. We live in a technological advanced society now where we trust that technology is going to do everything for us. And technology certainly is a blessing, you know, from, the, from you know, newsprint uh, to telegraph uh, to radio to television. God bless, you know, uh, Al Gore inventing the internet. I mean, you know, I mean, like, thank God. Thank God we got all that technology now. But the best vessel is still you. It's still me. I mean, we can use all the other helps, and we should. That's the advantage of living in this day. But in that day, unless the people went, the message didn't go. And it wasn't going. So maybe, maybe it's a coincidence, I don't know. Maybe just God used the persecution and said, well, while you're out there, share the faith. But I think there may have been more God in this than we think, as terrible as the events might have been. That God said, hey, church, you're not out there, so I'm going to stir the nest a little bit, so guess what will happen? You'll get out there. Number three, the church turned a negative into a positive and that other areas of Israeli territory were evangelism. Again, some view the persecution as a horrible thing, but others might look at it as a catalyst for renewed passion and action. Folks, you can read your history. You can read your church history. The church is generally at its best and most effective when the church is experiencing some kind of persecution. So at the close of the service today, before we give thanks for the muffins, we're going to pray for persecution, right? But if you check the history books, it's usually when we're at our best. God sifts his church. Are you really for us? Are you really into me? Or are you just riding it? Matthew 28 and Acts 1 remind us that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, not just to get comfortable where we are. Matthew 28 and 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, my martyrs in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. 
Do you really think that Acts 8.1 tells us they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria is simply coincidental with what Jesus said in the inverse of that in Acts 1 verse 8, that they would be witnesses in all of those places? My belief is this, that God knew exactly what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was allowing. One more thing we could learn. One servant, Stephen, is promoted. That's the old-fashioned way. Hey, saints, those of you that are 60 and above, promoted means this. They've gone to heaven. One servant, Stephen, was promoted. Another servant, Philip, is empowered for ministry. It tells us this, that there's lots of room and lots of people to work for God. Stephen was awesome. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He did some great things in a very short time, right? God took him. And Philip replaced him. There's lots of room and lots of people to do work for God. Stephen is gone. Philip is raised up. There are so many people and so many things that yet need to be done for Christ. But let me challenge you with this thought. Instead of thinking of programs sometimes, instead of thinking of programs sometimes, think people. Instead of trying to impact 5, 10, or 100. Now, for those of you that are gifted to impact 5, 10, or 100, go to her. But for the rest of us, instead of trying to impact 5, or 10, or 100, which for many of us just seems too big, how about just one? One. If we reach, all reach one person in our church in one year, the church does what? Give me the number. It doubles. That's all the math I'm asking of you today. Grant, don't get excited. Ex-math teachers should not get excited when I'm talking math. The last thing that we can learn from this event is persecution galvanizes our faith. If you continue to read, it says this, that the church grew, it didn't diminish Persecution just led to the church growing. It went out and did more things with more people. Faith grew in most. I'm sure that there, there, was, there were some that didn't want to deal with the persecution and probably reneged their faith and just went back to being a good Jew. But for many of them, their faith grew. It did not diminish. God stirs us up when we are not stirred up on our own. The lesson is this, and our time is up. The church is at its best when? When we scatter and share the gospel. We all need to scatter. Again, you don't need to think about 5, 10, or 100. That's probably too much for most of us. God hasn't dropped that vision or that giftedness in many of us. But we can certainly scatter to one. Right? One? Just one. Folks, just one in a year. Not one this week, one this month. Just one in a year. If we would pray about it, if we would be intentional, if we would understand the calling that the church, it's at its best. Not when we gather. The church is really at its best when we scatter. Let's pray. Father, today, we thank you that we're like Jerusalem got a great church. We're renovating the church. It's going to be a better church. But if it's just a better building, if the people in it 
don't learn or haven't learned to scatter, then it is just going to be for us. And we understand that you have a plan for Essex and for Cottom and for Kingsville and for Tecumseh and for LaSalle and for Leamington, for Bell River. You have a plan that goes beyond this little postage stamp we call Essex Gospel Community Church. So God, help us to think about the one. Who can we pray for? Who can we reach out to? Who can we try to influence? It's not a project. We're not looking for a check mark at the end of the year. But these people desperately need Jesus. So help us to care enough to scatter. In Jesus' name, amen.